Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and as always, uh, we're joined by our illustrious panel, and today we have John Somsky, Chris Jones, and the great Jim Reed. I want to thank our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and our other podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. Uh, this is episode 178. And today we've got the great Nate Mavis. Excited to chat with him. Uh, just real quick before we get to that, as you guys know, go to rec.poker slash resources. Everything we have is out there. All of our partnerships, all of our codes to get you discounts, everything is out there. So go check that out, rec.poker slash resources. Uh, specifically, uh, you can check out Red Chip Poker. You get one free week of core. If you go to Red Chip Poker and you use the code Rec Poker. So that's our big thing that we're sort of highlighting this week. Uh, but with that, let's come back. Let's bring in Nate Mavis. Now, Nate is the co-host of the Thinking Poker podcast with Andrew Brokus, and he's generally a pretty smart dude, I would say. Uh, let's let's bring him in. Nate, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, real good, man. We're super excited to have you on. Everybody's been chomping at the bit to talk to you. So where, where are you at right now? Where are you physically located? I'm in Melrose, Massachusetts. It's a small commuter suburb of Boston. And are you from there originally, or what's the deal? I'm from Michigan. I'm a native Michigander. Uh, I, I will always be a meat and potatoes guy in my bones. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the sort of person who thinks that the forward pass is a trick play uh, by, by nature. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, no, I, I work out here. I, I am in software. It's a good place to be in software. It's a good place to raise a kid. So I'm, I'm here, and I'm here to stay. So does that mean Wolverines or Spartans? I grew up kind of both. I grew up kind of both. I, uh, I, 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 well, because, this isn't a political show. You can actually take a stand here. Well, but like, it's the truth. Like when I was young, it was the Desmond Howard years and that uh, was that. And, and, but then both my sisters went to Michigan state and it was great. For them. So, uh, I, I mean, how about Michigan football, but Michigan state basketball? Is that, is that, Oh, there you go. A yeah. reasonable answer? That might be more aligned than with the, uh, the notion of the forward pass being, uh, what you what you said earlier? So, yeah, yeah Desmond, play. <laughs> hello, Heisman. Uh, all right. Well, I was looking at your stuff too, and I, I I read some words, and I just before we get into the poker stuff, I need I need somebody to help me with these words. I need somebody as smart as you to talk about these words that are describing you. Uh, philosophy with a dissertation concerning the relationship between muriology and predication in Plato's Theaetetus, while also addressing more general issues in Plato's late metaphysics. Um, yeah. Help, please. So, yeah. So, uh, Plato, ancient Greek philosopher, um, predecessor of Aristotle, successor of Socrates. He wrote a bunch of dialogues. Um, you may have had to read ones like The Republic in school, and you may uh, ha have an idea that Plato thought that there were things called forms, that like somehow the material world around us was like sort of striving to be these idealized uh, items. Um, so Plato wrote late dialogues. One of his late dialogues is the Theotetus. And in the Theotetus, Socrates starts ranting about his dreams at some point. And it's very strange. And a lot of people who read Plato very carefully just sort of skip over that part because it's weird. And I tried to tackle it in my dissertation. And my view is that um, this thing where it just sort of looks like Socrates is ranting about his dreams in Plato's Theotetus, uh, actually he's uh, reaffirming or, or, or Plato is reaffirming in the mouthpiece of Socrates, uh, some of the sort of canonical theory of forms that you might have had to read about in high school. 
Um, so the muriology stuff, that's like metaphysics. That's like, what's, what, what is reality all about? Uh, predication is like sort of a different part of metaphysics or maybe philosophy of language. Uh, how are, how are those kinds of things related to each other? And, um, that was my dissertation. So that's, um, a 25 cent word filled, uh, you know, not, not to be fancy to fit into a word limit. Uh, that, that, that was the description <laughs> of my dissertation. You got it right. I, I was testing you and you actually, you nailed it. That was really good. You got, you got, <laughs> you got it exactly. Fantastic. So, so what was, what's your actual PhD in? What is your PhD in? Uh, it's an ancient philosophy. I did my PhD at, at, so my PhD says, I've actually, I'm not sure I've ever looked at the diploma. Uh, I think it just says philosophy though. Um, okay. so yeah, it's got that and it's got the seal of Cornell university on it. So that's, oh, Cornell, that's, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of those well, things I'm just, uh, you know, we, I talk poker on here, but I'm just so enamored by interesting people that have studied things that I've never even dreamt of. So I'm just super, super intrigued by what you're, what you got going there. Pretty cool. Well, and philosophers make great poker players. I think that's been established in, uh, in, in our time, at least Nate, I'm sure you'd agree, uh, or at I, least, uh, Twitter philosophers. I, you know, we try, we try. And you know, there, there's plenty hanging out in poker, uh, in poker rooms. I, I definitely ran across several in the Bellagio. Um, you know, there there are definitely more academic washouts floating around poker rooms than you might think. <laughs> yeah, that when we were talking to Ed Miller, there was a little sub conversation about that as well. And uh, you know, just it, particularly in the philosophy department, though, uh, I think it's just it's it's a training ground for life. Poker and life and philosophy are really just the same pursuit. Um, so I think that's yeah. an easy, an easy marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing about philosophy is that you're always trying to question every assumption, um, maybe even beyond what's rationally required. And, um, a, a lot of breakthroughs in poker have come from people saying like, wait, mm. this thing that we think we have to do, do we really have to do it? And, and finding a lot of breakthroughs in poker don't come from finding answers to questions, but rather finding the right questions. And philosophy is is some training in that. I yep. love that. This Nate Mavis, everybody. This is Nate Mavis from the Thinking <laughs> Poker podcast that we're talking to here today. Now, honestly, Steve Steve talks all the time about we should just have another podcast where all we do is talk to interesting people and we don't talk about poker strategy at all. Nate would have to be near the top of that list, I think, Steve. Um, this is the kind of guy that I'd love to just chat philosophy with for an hour. But we should talk about poker a little for the sake of our listeners. Um, I had one question. Good. Oh, I was no, gonna I'm say saying, yeah, if you if you do that, you don't have to make a new podcast. Andrew and I do that all the time on our <laughs> show. You just call it the Thinking Poker Podcast, and you have whoever you want on, and you talk about whatever you want, and and nobody seems to complain. It's very strange. I mean, sometimes <laughs> they do, but they really nobody complains. Fine. Really, <laughs> <laughs> almost no. I mean, yeah. no, certainly no more people than who complain when we do talk about poker. So like net complaining is not <laughs> right. There you go. Okay. There you go. The, the net complaining is an important metric in this business, I think, because you're going to get yeah. some, no matter what, right? <laughs> Haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. And like, you know, and, and, and I mean, you can shut down some of the haters, but, you know, it's a whack-a-mole thing. And new ones will arise. There will That's always right. be some number of, you know, of haters. So. Yeah. You need a haters tolerance is kind of built in. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, uh, I know you and uh, Andrew recently released uh, another Weekend Warrior uh, premium podcast series, and you're you're very much in, as close to a Weekend Warrior as you've been in your life, I imagine. Uh, uh, are you? I know you're not playing live very much these days because no one is. But um, have you been playing much online? I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some Poker Stars stuff, but I don't know if you've uh, uh, been playing at all online. I've been playing a little bit on America's card room, uh, playing some tournaments, um, and yeah, as, as my schedule allows, um, you know, I've been playing like sort of plenty of tournaments, but busting out of all of them almost immediately. So it feels like I'm not playing almost any poker, (laughs) but, um, um, really I'm just losing money with high efficiency. Yeah, well, it sounds like it would be a well another, another T-shirt. We have this whole line of T-shirts we have to make. There's mo- losing money in high efficiency. It, yes, I mean, it, Andrew and I have this way of talking. If if there's a tournament that we've both entered and 198 places pay, like whoever busts out first, that person got 199th place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Efficient yeah, plus plus that whole day back. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I, I I had one question because I, I play uh, online more than live, and of course now everyone's playing online. And I know um, different sites have different sort of uh, payout structures and rules for how they want to run this stuff. Nate, you've always been sort of a, a big picture guy. You play mixed games. You know a lot about like etiquette and structures and that sort of thing, rules. So I thought that you'd be a good person for this question. So um, I think at some point earlier this year, uh, poker stars started changing their payout structure so that um, in the knockout tournaments and the bounty tournaments, which is where I spend most of my time, um, the f- top two places actually get paid almost the same amount of money in the uh, payout structure. And I've never seen such a sharp adjustment to a typical payout structure. Um, I'll just... Uh, share my screen for one second. I know this is terrible podcasting, but yeah, if, for all of you uh, that are listening are out there, you can enjoy that. Yes. Is now sharing a screen <laughs> that you can't see. Suffice it to say in a tournament here that the, they've, they've met their guarantees, but the, uh, the payout for first place is $18,226. And for second is $18,213. So for a structure that, for that much person there, they've met the guarantee and everything else, the other half of it's going into the knockout pool, of course. Um, same for over here. And uh, I do most of my MTNT, MTT playing on Poker Stars because I live in Canada. Um, and I'm not sure if that's something that's been adopted across other sites, if it's just a knockout thing. Have you had some experience with this? Or what's your first impulse, uh, your first take on that as a policy? Uh, I have a lot of reactions. My only honest answer is I don't know. And I specifically don't know what poker stars is doing these days, but here are a few ways that I would immediately sort of try to think about that. One is that it's a knockout tournament and in the progressive knockouts, like the bounties get pretty big, right? So there will be a natural sort of bonus for getting first instead of second. Um, second is it's a little bit like the big blind ante where I view it as a sign of maturity in the poker world, maybe. Um, from a marginal utility point of view or, or a utility of money point of view, um, godly first places were always a bit irrational and, and, and uh, a bit of uh, marketing first and collective utility second. Um, you know, 
I remember we used to walk into the main events of the World Series and somebody would say like, oh, first place is only $5 million. That's only, you know, nine and a half percent or something. But like the person who wins $5 million and has millions and millions more of endorsements, if he or she wants it, like that person does not need the million dollars anywhere near as much as even second place does. Uh, I mean, quick, who got second to Joe Hashem? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nate Mavis. <laughs> it wasn't no? me. It wasn't oh, that was her, oh, that was right. Yeah, oh. yeah, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I was I was directly to Joe Hashem's right in one of the PCAs. And, and oh, nice. <laughs> but that's a different story. So uh, I would say that it may be a sign of maturity in the poker world, and it may be a sign that um, the large first places are not viewed by poker stars as a marketing priority or at least a marketing priority in progressive knockout tournaments. Like that's like a third way to think about it is that some, some knockout tournament is not going to have the same marketing priorities as say the Sunday million. Um, And, and the third one is just that the poker stars is a bit of a mysterious beast. These days poker is one part of the poker stars empire Last I checked, um, they were doing a lot of blackjack and other stuff the last time I paid any attention to this. So um, the, 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 the next way I would sort of intellectually tackle this is to think about it in terms of poker stars' overall priorities. But I don't know what those are these days because they, they don't serve me. I, I, I'm American. So um, those are my first reactions. Yeah, definitely, and, and and I see the argument for it being a, uh, a just the the bounty structure being a different way to allocate that large difference between first and second because whoever takes out that second place player is going to get that additional pool, which uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I'll be curious to see if any of our listeners are playing on other sites or if anyone here on the panel. Uh, I've, I haven't really been paying attention to other lobbies, but I'd be curious to see if this was a, a phenomenon on other sites. Yeah, I've. I, I can't remember ever seeing that before in, I mean, except like in a satellite or something where you're expecting mm. other things to be the same. Um, I mean, usually they, they put a gaudy number up top and then everybody right. races to chop it. Right. Exactly. That's the next way to think about it. It's just like efficiency. It's just like pre-chopping, right? It's, well, it does take a lot of the variance out of the heads up to be honest with you. I mean, that, that there's, there's something to that. Yeah. Uh, it kind of makes me want to practice my heads up a little less, though. I don't mind saying it. <laughs> well, have you, have you ever been heads up in a tournament, Jim? I mean, we should probably address well, that. But, I mean, but one maybe. day, if it ever happens, I want to know what I'm in for. <laughs> one of those one of the one sixty hundred one dollar sixty cent tournaments or whatever. Well, let's. It matters so much. It matters so. It's like learning first yeah. day, even if you've no, never course. done CPR. You know, when 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 the situation arises, it's going to matter so much that it's worth doing. That's so yeah, kind of you, Nate, sure. to offer to help me with my heads-up game. What a gentleman! Nate <laughs> everybody. Yeah, he's going to be, be doing. He's, he's doing our editing for us, and he's going to be pressing <laughs> heads up with That's you. Right. So this this is a fantastic episode so far. Maybe Jones <laughs> can. Uh, if Chris brings up a hand here, maybe we can get Nate to volunteer to do something else for us. Well, before right, we do right. that, oh, John's got windows. Did you do windows? <laughs> do windows. <laughs> I don't well, do I, windows. Oh darn! I don't do okay, windows. Well, I don't sorry, do John. We'll have to I find mean, somebody else. Maybe we'll Andrew unless Brokus mean, back on. I mean, unless you mean sort of capital W. I mean, <laughs> like like most tech professionals, I am unofficial tech support for my family. So they oh call me gosh. when their computers break, and those computers tend to be Windows computers. And I have <laughs> to say, I have to say Microsoft is doing a heck of a job. There's a lot of, uh, so, you know, they're, I, 
there's a lot of stuff you can do if you break your Windows computer. Like they're really trying hard. I have to say I'm very impressed, but that's a different story. <laughs> Speaking only for myself, of course. Right. Well, it's all, it's all to my son who's, when he, whenever he came home from college and now he is the tech support for not only our family, but the extended family. It's like, it's like sure. the guy that has the pickup truck ends up helping everybody move. You get to help everybody sure. with, their, with their laptop issues. Sure, 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 sure. Chris, do you want to go ahead and you got a hand for Nate? Yeah. Yeah. So Nate, thanks for being here. I'm a big fan of both you and Andrew. I love the Thinking Poker podcast. Uh, every every uh, week we tend to sort of bring a hand and ask our guests about it. And I think this is a particular one that's uh, potentially interesting to rack players. Um, and so that's kind of why I chose it. Um, so this is uh, this is actually one of the last live big uh, world tournaments that was going on. It's the South American Party Poker Millions. Um, and we're day three. Um, we're in the money and we're down to 59 players. Um, and so we're playing this hand from the perspective of the under-the-gun player who uh, is a recreational player who satellited in and is probably, this is like, you know, a really big deal to them. Um, they're playing with a table full of really elite players. Um, so from a probably experience, I mean, I don't know this player, and he's an Argentinian rec player who satellited in, um, but they're sitting there with 70 big blinds. They have the second biggest stack at the table uh, and they're under the gun and they have Ace of Hearts, Queen of Spades, and they open to two and a half big blinds. So, so far, so good, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and so the button, who has 48 big blinds, and what I would, uh, uh, is a really elite uh, level pro with millions in earnings, uh, and then the big blind with 28 big blinds, both call. So we go to the flop with three players, uh, and I should just say, and this is the part where I think, um, the part where I think is is interesting from from a rec player's or any player's perspective, but especially a rec player's perspective, the button who will be the main villain in this hand, who has forty eight big blinds, um, just lost a huge pot on a massive bluff. Where they were the table chip leader, and so they're no longer. Um, but that was like three hands prior to this one, um, and they've been really active. So that's just a little bit of context for you know what we're going to do here with this hand. So we have ace of hearts, queen of spades again, and the flop comes ace of clubs, four of diamonds, six of diamonds. Um, the big blind who's still in the hand, spoiler alert, <laughs> checks to us. Um, what's, what's our move or plan in this spot with two, two other players. So we cover both the other players who have like 24 and 26 big blinds. Total. Uh, the big blind has 28, but the button has 48 and we cover them oh. both with 70. Oh, okay. 28, 48. We have 70. Good. Do we have either the ace or the queen of diamonds? I forget. We have ace of hearts, queen of spades. So we do not have okay, a diamond. So we don't, we don't block any of the flush draws. Okay. Um, so do we want to have a betting range here? Yes. Yes, we do. Do we want to have a checking range here? Yes. Yes, we do. Um, was this a nine-handed table? It was at this point eight-handed. Eight-handed. Uh, but it could so like, it, up to nine-handed it was, the tournament was played at. So I'm, I'm asking because like some of the extra hands you, you, you add are those sort of marginal aces. Um, what I want to know is, is how good this hand is in our made hands range. Um, 
my first instinct is that we want to have a checking range and it's going to be hard to find value hands to put in that checking range, but we're not going to want the pot taken away from us just sort of automatically all the time. So we need good hands to put in our checking range. Um, I think we'll probably do that with ace king sometimes and, and, you know, with three aces sometimes, uh, we might've folded four as unbelievable God. We might have, we probably would have raised sixes every time. Uh, so we do have some value hands, but not that many. Um, we, we would have raised like ace jack also. Um, there's a question about ace 10 offsuit. I think there's an argument to be made for, for checking this hand. Uh, because we will have a hard time getting value from worse, uh, certainly like several streets of value from worse. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a board we will need to check sometimes. Like when we have pocket jacks or pocket tens or yeah, we could show up with like seven, six suited or something. Um, I guess that hand wants to bet and protect. But, um, you know, there are, there are hands we, we really do want to check with. And there are also just pure give ups that would rather get a free card than not. Like, you know, if, if, if queen jack, you know, queen jack suited or king queen suited, if that hand, uh, gets a check and then spikes a king or a queen, that, that's a good thing. Uh, so that's another small benefit of checking. Um, that said, if we're raising like all our, ace 10 offsuits and i'm not sure that we are then ace queen all of a sudden looks like you know that then, then we have a lot of other aces to protect those hands with and um we can you know we can maybe fold out some gut shots exactly seven eight suited or, or seven eight offsuit in the big blind uh that's a hand that will fold that we would like to fold as opposed to calling so betting has that benefit um certainly like suited aces those hands will call and we want them to call. Um, that said, I think we're just not that far up in our ranges. Um, you know, you said the thing about about the button uh, being ha having just lost a pot and being like sort of a world class player or, or very elite. Um, if he's really elite enough, that won't affect his play, except insofar as as uh, it 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 makes. Um, except in, insofar as he's making second level adjustments. And I know you said they, I'm just sort of, when I say he, uh, yeah, it was, it was a he, it was a he. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to hold back a little on the, on who they are. Um, yeah, but yeah. you know, the, the interesting um, thing, and the reason I think I bring this up is not necessarily because I think the play, the, you know, elite level pro at this kind of level is not going to adjust their play just because they lost the big pot. But I think from a, uh, a, a rec player's perspective who's sitting there thinking about a hand thinking, and we'll see it as this hand progresses. There are some moments where, I mean, this, uh, you know, I can just tell you this hand's going to turn into a major sort of like, what do we do kind of bluff catcher moment. And so the yeah. thought of somebody having just bluffed off all their chips and then are they bluffing again starts to be this sort of like thing about like, sometimes you have to weigh that and say, well, they were bluffing last time, so they probably have value this time. Or do you have to, you know? And those—that's the, the kind of like some of the crux of this hand for me in some ways. Yeah, I, I should also say like when when I have a really good player with position on me, um, who who won't like always have position on me, and when I'm deep in a big tournament, like part of my analysis here is. Um, 
predicated on the idea that like if I were in this spot, I would probably have a pretty tight raising range here, probably oversight from a theory perspective, because like how much do I give up folding ace 10 offsuit before the flop here? Probably not that much. And like if I'm a little bit, you know, if I got the yips a little bit about being in this spot, like there are just better places for me to find edge than you know, 0.03 of a big blind uh, right. opening a seven suited under the gun when all this stuff's going on and I have really good players behind me. So, but like, but I, I should really answer this question having like your correspondent or like, like having that person's ranges in mind and not my own. But like, for me, I think ace queen with is, is like a pretty good check here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a good, it's a good strong hand to put in my checking range. Um, but but you know that's partly given my pre-flop ranges, and if this person's opening a wider range, um, then ace queen starts to get a bit too near the top of it. Especially like the big blind only has like twenty whatever big blinds, and then that person can jam like you know some gut shots or or whatever, or can have a really hard time folding any ace. Then you can start like. One problem with ace queen in this spot, if you're an under the gun raiser, is that it's hard to get big value for your hand. But if the pot is already like kind of bloated or like tournament bloated, like a whole eight and a half big blinds before the flop, and then the big blind only has like 22 behind or something, then all of a sudden, like, like yeah, you've got you can go for stacks against that hand against the big blind. So you have like a pure value hand. Now, like on the other other hand you can get a lot of that money a lot of that time even if you check the flop against the big blind like you, you only need two bets and not even pot size bets to get that money so um i'm still coming down on a side of on the side of a check but i don't think but like a bet for the right reasons is also just fine too um yeah, yeah no i i tend to agree i think this is a spot where i would probably check um our hero in this case does bet out uh four big blinds into that pot of about nine um, and the button calls and the big blind folds. All right. So, and we go to a turn, the turn is the 10 of spades. So again, our board is ace of clubs, four of diamonds, six of diamonds, now 10 of spades. And we're holding ace of hearts, queen of spades. Um, So the pot is now 17 big blinds. The villain has 42 behind. Uh, We cover that. um, And our move i mean i'd check we're very near the bottom of our value betting range on the flop uh we would like to you know we'll have some flush draws we have some hands we, we like like we certainly don't want to give up with our whole checking range we want to have some value hands in there uh this is a good one um so yeah i i yeah i i would, I would check I would and check. and our the hero does check and um the, the the hand gets more interesting i think on the river so the villain bets uh 10 big blinds which we call yeah. um which i think is you know probably hard hard to argue with that uh and now the river is the 10 of hearts so yeah, I, I, can, can i just say like it's hard to argue with that but like that's sort of because our opponent is good um I, I do want to say, like, if you're up against a value range, like, this is a fold I've made many times in my life. I wouldn't make it against an elite player who just lost a big pot. But, like, there are tons of opponents who don't call the flop with anything they're bluffing with on the turn. Like, 
I mean, it's easy to see the draws out there, but a lot of them are either taking free cards on the turn with their draws mm -hmm. or bluff raising them on the flop. And also a lot of opponents are checking back their worst value hands every time. So like ace queen, I guess what I'm going to say is that like, I would call ace queen here, but it's a bluff catcher already. It's like we raised a good hand and we hit the flop and we made the small flop bet, but like we're calling just because we have a good enough bluff catcher that we kind of have to call and the bet isn't that huge. So like, yes, it's hard to argue with, but I want to say that like, you don't have to like set 10 big blinds on fire. And there are times when this call is setting like as many as eight of those 10 big blinds on fire. Mm -hmm. um, in this spot against this player, I think you have to call, but like it's a bluff catcher and it makes me happy I checked the flop in my own sort of alternate reality. Um, and it really makes me happy that like, I mean, never mind that the 10 hit the turn, but like it really makes me happy that I'm just sort of being a tight knit under the gun in this spot in the first place because like, you raise a premium hand and you hit the board and then like you still end up in hard spots and like, you know, depending what the whole table's like, you would much rather get your chips somewhere else. But yes. So check call. I agree with it. It's just like, you know, from a rec player perspective, um, this is a place where you can differentiate yourself against other rec players and like, you know that this is a bluff catcher here uh, and, and act accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the river is the 10 of hearts. So we got a paired board now, ace of clubs, four of diamonds, six of diamonds, 10 of spades, 10 of hearts. There's now 37 big blinds in the pot. The villain has 32 big blinds behind and we are first to act. What is our, I mean, I'll ask what our, I think our, our plan here is still a check, but what is our, I mean, our, our move is a check, but what is our plan? I mean, it's going to be hard to fold this hand, right? Like, um, what hands beat us? I mean, the pocket aces, that is almost impossible combinatorically to be out there. Similarly with pocket tens. Pocket sixes and pocket fours could definitely be there. Ace king almost certainly would have raised before the flop. And, like, especially from the perspective of somebody who could be perceived as tilting. If I could be perceived as tilting... Uh, then some recreational player raises under the gun and I have ace king on the button. I'm three betting every single time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that. And like how many tens would our opponent have checked the flop with? Like, you know, probably not that many. Um, so we are really, really, really high up in his range, uh, at least for getting to the flop. And even after he calls that flop bet, um, he did call a flop bet, of course, which is like, you know, the key to the hand. But then he bet the turn, which is like, you know, it's tricky. So like either he's running a bluff or, you know, like, I mean, we, we still have a bluff catcher. We still have a bluff catcher, right? But um, the 10's a pretty good card, you know, like 6-4 just got counterfeited. Like if he's tilting hard enough to call a 6-4. Um, a 10 with a plus draw, that's something you could have. You could have like, uh, you know, like 10, nine diamonds. Mm -hmm. um, and there's an argument for like not raising that flop. Like this is a good board to just call with a bunch of your flush draws with. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's tough. Um, but still, um, yeah, it's going to be tricky. I mean, we're, we're pretty high up in our range. 
uh, we would have bet the flop. Yeah, but by the time we call the turn, this is a good hand. You you chose your hand really well. This is <laughs> going to be a terrible spot if we face a big bet. This is really this is really tricky because uh, uh, we have a good hand in some ways and a really bad hand in other ways. And and um, yeah, you, you you check and you hope the bet's not too big. I'm guessing there's a big bet coming. Up. Yeah, there's a big bet coming. So the <laughs> yeah. the villain has uh, 32 big blinds behind. They do not shove. They put 25 big blinds out. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. That's really hard. So, I mean, I just gave you like half my reasoning. Um, we're pretty high up, but not completely high up in our own range. We're pretty high up, not completely high up in, in our opponent's range. I mean, what, what hands? It would be great to have a diamond. It'd be really great to have a diamond in our hand, like uh, the ace of diamonds or the queen of diamonds. So, like, like, so here's here here's what you do. Here's what you do. It's like, how should I choose my bluff catchers? Like we have a bluff catcher. How do we choose our bluff catchers? Um, so the ace of diamonds is not on board. We could have ace king, ace queen, ace jack. Um, calling with like ace jack with a diamond, especially since the jack and the ten are adjacent. So like jack ten of diamonds exactly is one thing we're worried about. So calling with ace jack with the jack of diamonds is better probably than calling with ace queen no no diamond. Like, does he really have exactly ace queen? Probably not. Um, it's not impossible, actually. Um, but but I'd say probably not. Uh, you know, like we could have ace nine of diamonds, right? Mm -hmm. That hand might be better to call with. I mean, you probably, I mean, that's ace nine diamonds is a great hand to check the flop with. So I'm not sure we would ever get here with ace nine of diamonds, but you know, it's something to think about. There's ace king of diamonds, ace queen with the queen of diamonds, ace jack with the jack of diamonds, ace queen with the ace of diamonds. Uh, then we block ace ten of diamonds. That's relevant. So, like, I've been, I think the ace of diamonds is like pretty relevant too, and not just the side card being the side of diamond, the, that, that, that diamond. So now I'm finding like sort of more bluff catchers um, to yeah to to call with um, even like maybe arguably like we probably should have checked the flop with pocket kings pocket queens that's one reason why I wanted to check the flop with this hand uh, but yeah um, if for some reason we wanted to bet for protection on the flop if we made sort of a bet that I would think is a bad bet with kings with the king of diamonds or queens with the queen of diamonds or jacks with the jack of diamonds or nines with the nine of diamonds. Uh, arguably, those are better bluff catchers than this hand. I mean, it's a little bit hard to say that pocket nines is a better bluff catcher than ace queen. Like, he really might have an ace here sometimes, but um, the diamond blockers are, in fact, relevant. The straight draws, I think, are pretty hard for him to have. If he can really have, like, all the, like, if you can really have seven, eight of clubs, then I'm kind of back to calling just because there are too many bluff combinations a priori. Um, so I think, you know, this wouldn't be the worst call with a bluff catcher I've ever seen, but I think I'd rather find my bluff catchers somewhere else in my range. And I think I could make a sort of, uh, full, I, I think, I think it's fine to fold this hand. I think it's fine to fold this hand. I, I would be more inclined to fold it. Um, 
now let's think about like the meta level, like where's my analysis likely to be wrong? Um, if the other guy's tilting, it does that make this call better or worse? It's like, yeah, well, I mean, if he's just spewing off, then, then obviously you want to call with a hand this good, but if he's tilting that hard, I don't know, isn't he raising somewhere else first? And like a lot of his bluff hands had a reason to raise earlier, like, say because they're flush draws or because they're good preflop hands. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Um, we did, you know, the pot was three handed on the flop. As I like to say, it was two minutes ago and you're not thinking about the big blind right now. So like, that's like another real big take home lesson um, that you can hear all about. And you know, in, 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 yeah, if you listen to the show, uh, but the big blind folded a long time ago, many decisions ago. Um, the big blind is still relevant because your bet was more powerful because it went into a three-person field on the flop. And that big blind could have just jammed right over the button's call on the flop. So that really tightened up his range. Um, that makes me want to fold more. Yeah, fold is my final answer. Um, but, yeah. I like yeah, it. Pain. Well well, our, our hero does fold. Our Good. hero does fold. Uh, nice and I, I was really wanting to uh, figure out because when I saw it, I actually I thought it was an amazing I thought it was an amazing fold. He actually folded the quad tens here, um, wow. and um, but I think in in this spot, I think I'm it's a it's a hand I really wanted to think about a lot, and I loved your analysis there. But it's a hand I think where I'm I'm calling far too often. Right in this kind of exact spot, I think this is a spot where I find the call button too often, especially against a player that I maybe have seen a few hands earlier, um, sort of slough off a bunch of chips, um, wanting maybe to get those back. And I'm thinking, well, they're just so I um, I really liked the fold, and I've I've been thinking about this hand a lot. I loved your analysis, but uh, he he made the correct fold. So kudos on him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like pretty interesting to me. I would just fold those tens on the flop, I think, um, in, in the buttons spot, especially with that big blind left to act. Um, yeah. And I also like probably wouldn't show them. I mean, like, yes, you made quads, but like, well, he didn't, sh- I, you know, it was on stream. So as a oh, viewer, you could, he didn't like right, show it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, on the flop, you have tens or pretend of diamonds. The 10 diamonds is worth a little bit. I mean, you can always work, you can always look left. I'm not saying there are no reasons to call here. I am saying like most of my reasons to call here are also reasons just to re-raise before the flop. If if I have pocket tens here, so like it's a strange combination to me. Is calling before the flop like the stack sizes are a little bit awkward. So when you put when you put yourself in the button spot with pocket tens, like like why are you calling the flop because you think this rec player has way too many hands and is firing like way too many of those hands on the flop. Right. But if he has that many hands, why didn't you re-raise before the flop? Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's an awkward situation playing this bloated pot with pocket tens, but like you have position and you're really good. Right. Um, so that's like a bit strange to me. Also note that the big line probably made a very profitable call and took a lot of money away from those tens before the flop. So this is like, um, I, I I am not saying that the button played his hand poorly. Uh, I am saying there's like something to question there. And like, frankly, you know, tilt is a, 
tilt is a funny thing. I'm not sure. Sure that like yeah, and, and it manifests itself in many ways. I wouldn't be surprised if if one or more of the buttons plays here was some sort of of, of derivative of tilt or, or or form or expression of tilt. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting if they were if they were somehow playing the under the gun player a little bit. You know, just sort of uh, you know, I'm going to trap a little bit with tens, or I'm going to you know outplay them. I'm going to float them on the flop and see if I can get their queens or kings to fold you know, with some aggression on the turn or, you know, you don't really know all of the dynamics going on there, but if the under the gun player is a little bit more inexperienced or a little less experienced, maybe that was part of it uh, as well yeah. too. Just thinking I'm just going to float here and look to steal it a, in a future street. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think a lot of people do think things like that. Um, and, and not that this is where you're coming from, but I mean, for me, if my, if I've just lost this huge pot, um, I mean, just look at this conversation and just look at, you know, whatever, I, I haven't read about this hand, but I'm sure a lot of people would easily call with the ace-queen here, saying that ace-queen, it's like, you raise this very pretty hand, and then you hit the flop, and then this, like, super rich or perceived as very rich player who could easily be tilting is, like, betting, but also leaving himself seven big lines behind. Maybe that's, like, a starting right. stack. And, like, how can I fold this hand? I have too much hand to fold, et cetera. Like, all of that psychology, I think, is pretty predictable. And the place I would like to use that is pre-flop. It's like, yeah, I mean, this front player could just so easily also make a bad peel before the flop for all those same reasons when I'm sitting here with, like, you know, the fifth best. You know, like, a, a really good hand. A really good hand. Um, all that said, just calling an under-the-gun race with pocket tense on the button, you know, it ranges from like very good to just fine to not that bad. So that's, that's all fine, but it's an interesting hand from buttons perspective and it's nice to make quads. It's nice to make. quads. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> that does help. Especially on turn yeah. and river. That's a, that's a really nice way to make quads. That's why you stick around. That's why you stick around on that there? flop, right? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, Nate, I want to respect your time, but um, you said something about uh, choosing bluff catchers that I think is something that our, our listeners in particular would really appreciate a little more insight into. Do you mind just unpacking a bit why you would choose those hands with the diamond adjacent to the uh, 10 um, oh, yeah. versus other yeah. hands? or like What it is about that when it comes to combos and their range that makes that a good decision? What a great question. It is so nice not to be the host. It's like so much fun. <laughs> it's like I love poker and I love poker podcasting and like to do this where like it's your job to run the conversation and like <laughs> it's like oh, anytime I want I can just shut up and they have to talk. It's fantastic. Yeah. Wait, I get to get my tattoo of Nate saying that was a great question. So really it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, it was really good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just to put neon lights on something I said earlier, like, you know, whenever you're sort of stuck on a hand like this, you can just think about your range and which hands do you want to bluff catch with? So like, yeah, you, the reason this is hard is because ace queen is a pure bluff catcher. So which hands do you want to use as bluff catchers? And I immediately went to the diamonds because some of your opponent's bluffing hands, likely bluffing hands have flush draws and they might not be like sort of that many of the bluffs that are in your opponent's range, but they will be some of them. And it's, it's at least something you can look to uh, with your own cards that will help you distinguish between better and worse bluff catchers among hands that you could have. So in particular, if you have ace jack with the jack of diamonds, your opponent cannot have jack 10 of diamonds. 
which is some hand that he might be bluffing with. So when you have those diamonds in your hand, you make it less likely for your opponent to be bluffing in a way that your opponent can't possibly know. So there are reasons that your opponent could be bluffing or not, but most of those have to do with like the board texture and the betting action, which is to say public public knowledge. When you block your opponent's draws, when you block hands your opponent could be bluffing with, that's a way that you have uh, reduced the possibility that your opponent is bluffing in a way that he can't know that you know. Um, so that's that's sort of a nice way to choose bluff catchers within a range. Um, so ace queen with no diamonds is is worse than ace jack with a diamond um, to to call a bet here with I think on the river. So that's my explanation. And thank you again for the great question. Yeah, so good. Yeah, Jim Jim Reed, uh, Jim Reed from Coburg, Ontario, Canada, just asked an amazing <laughs> question for all of you that are out there listening. Jim Reed, R E I D. Uh, Nate, uh, I know we, uh, we, 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 <laughs> we are getting close to time, but man, I have, I have a million questions. So I'm going to try to squeeze in one more and just ask for kind of a quick response sure. to that. Sure. Uh, and one of the things is we've been talking a lot about. Uh, tournament phases, I guess, or, you know, approaching an MTT and there's different phases of a tournament when you start to play a little bit differently uh, as the tournament progresses. And here we're pretty deep in the tournament. I'm just kind of curious. I think for a lot of recreational players, we struggle with, okay, this is the hand and this is how you should play the hand, quote unquote. Uh, But there is a bigger context here of where are you at in the tournament? You know, ICM considerations at this point, you know, 59 players left. Uh, Can you shed a little bit light, a little bit of light on, on how you might have approach this hand either played it differently or just uh, your perspective if this was a final table or if this was like just say pre-bubble and kind of every all the other dynamics were the same how would that impact I guess you know maybe what you opened or how you you know how you made decisions throughout the course of a hand and I know that's a monster question but just give us some some high level hooks to hang that on yeah that's really good that helps that 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 that's part of why I would have probably just folded like ace 10 before the flop. Like, so it, it, with what there are 59 players left, something yeah. like that. So, you know, you, you don't want to bust, like you really don't want to bust. It makes the fold a little bit easier. Um, you know, it makes, um, I would have to know a little bit more about like the average stack and some of the stuff about pay structure to give a really great answer here. But like, you know, those tiny edges you get from raising uh, the most marginal hands under the gun, um, those turn into either like much better or much worse plays, depending where you are in the tournament. So like if you're in a spot where you can put pressure on a lot of the other stacks, then some of those like marginal opens like ace-10 offsuit become really good. On the other hand, if you have, say, elite players who cover you and have position on you, and you're deep enough that they can really leverage you later, then, uh, you know, then you want to be folding a lot more. Um, You know, so we talked about the big blind, possibly moving all in on the flop, Uh, that, that will become either a stronger or a weaker play, depending on specific tournament dynamics. You know, if he has a reasonable chance of outlasting, say five or 10 players like really easily, maybe he's not looking to jam 24 big blinds in the pot. On the other hand, like he's got to get chips sometime. And the fact that it's 59 players left and not 20 makes a really big difference. Um, so uh, yeah, he's, he's got to, he's got to get those chips sometimes. So 
Um, yeah, those are a few things I would be thinking about. Uh, you, you really also want to know other stuff about the table and the table dynamics. Um, other tournament considerations that are very real, but less sort of formal or, or mathematical are like, where are your chips coming from and where's the money at the table? Um, you know, are you going to be in good blind defense spots a lot? Are you going to be in good blind stealing spots a lot? Hmm. And the quality of those situations and like what the stacks are like in uh, of say the weakest players at the table, that's going to make a big difference to the, the, the practicalities of these decisions. Um, and again, like you're under the gun, it's really hard to make money under the gun. So I, I do a lot of folding under the gun in ICM situations. Let me tell you. So, so the last question for me, just so, how did I know Jim's laughing? I always say last question. I have so many questions, but just, but just really, um, you know, just, just how, how do you learn the game? Like, you know, you, you're obviously a very smart dude, but not everybody that's a smart dude learns how to play poker well, but like what, what's been the key to you learning the game? Oh man. I, I learned the game by like reading books and reading the two plus two forms back in the day. But like, that was a whole different era. And I learned inefficiently. Like I loved learning it. And it was like, it was, it was like intellectually stimulating. And like, I met all these friends and it was great. And I felt like I was in the center of like this intellectual revolution in this great American tradition. And that's all awesome. But that was like three revolutions ago. And you couldn't do that and make money now. And I did it badly and inefficiently and cost myself tons of money by not learning more efficiently when Hmm. I had every reason in the world to do it better. So like I learned poker by like reading and by playing a lot and by reading forums, like, but all of those things inefficiently. Um, And I loved it and it was a way to become a winning player in 2004. But, but that's my answer. That's my honest answer. And that is not any kind of claim that you could do those things now and become a winning player by doing them. So how do you improve your game now? What's, what's the, what's the key for folks that are listening to that are trying to improve their game? What would you give them for advice? I mean, you can still read books, but they should be better books. I mean, the, the, the quality (laughs) of training materials out there is like a lot better. It's a lot better. So like, I think you have to study the game systematically. Um, you don't have to be a game theory expert, but you do have to know what a range is. You do have to be thinking in terms of ranges. Um, you know, it's, you know, how do you, how do you eat the proverbial elephant one bite at a time? Uh, but like, just be aware you have to eat more of the elephant than you used to have to. Um, so like read, read the good books, study the good training videos and like really it, it, what, what's really different is that you can't, be satisfied doing some things well and having huge leaks in your game and still think you can win just by doing the things you do well, really well. Um, you really will have to get a full fundamental understanding of the game. That means getting a skill at, at, at detecting weaknesses in your own game, which is a hard thing to do. So get good at hand history reviews in, in a really skeptical way, in a way where, where you're likely to figure out where you went wrong. Um, and then really sort of study the game systematically. Don't let yourself think things like, oh, these river bluffs are not very profitable. I just won't be that kind of player. Like you just, there's just not room for that. There's just not room for that. You know, it's, um, 
it's a lot more like um, what they say about certain kinds of high frequency trading. You know, you're running in front of a bulldozer trying to pick up nickels. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, you know, then then you trip and fall, and the bulldozer runs you over. So like, you can't trip and fall, and then like you also can't leave like quarters lying on the ground too. You know, and and uh, so you've gotta you gotta aim to be a complete player. And you have to be very self-disciplined and systematic and, and self-aware and humble in your learning. And, and just be aware that a, a much higher level of fundamental mastery is required to be uh, a winning player than it used to be. But on the flip side, there's a lot more out there. Um, you know, like the Rec Poker podcast, that didn't exist in 2004. You guys do great stuff. Uh, immodestly, I think I put some pretty good stuff out there and, and a lot of it's free. And um, certainly there are great books and there's training videos, you know, there, there are training sites, there are people who have put free stuff online. Uh, there's really good stuff on YouTube. Not all of it's good, of course, but um, <laughs> so like it's, it's, it's um, more, even more sort of brutally meritocratic than ever. You know, there, there's a lot more you can do, but there's a lot more you have to do. And that's the modern reality of poker. Well, it's a perfect segue to, to, to wrap up. So where do folks find you? If they're listening to this, obviously the Thinking Poker podcast, but if they're saying, man, how else can I connect with Mate? What, what else can they do? Uh, I'm on Twitter sometimes at Nate Mavis, N-A-T-E-M-E-Y, V as in Victor, I-S. Um, yeah, uh, Nate, Mavis dot, Nate at NateMavis.com. If you want to ask me a question, you can just, email me. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm in email and I am in your ears in the Thinking <laughs> Poker podcast, uh, most of which is free, some of which is premium. Uh, you know, come on over. Andrew's smart. I try my best and we talk about <laughs> poker a lot and we'd love to have you listen. Nate, is there a premium set of podcasts somewhere that we can uh, learn even more about poker, particularly uh, for folks thank, like thank us thank that just work from time to time? Uh, the nickcast.com I think it's nickcast.com it's nickcast.com nickcast.com thanks uh, yeah I used to run the store I, I'm the one who registered that URL too uh, <laughs> nickcast.com yeah premium book. you know honestly we're pretty proud of these um, so the, the the recent premium series they're called Weekend Warrior there are two series of them the feedback has been better than the feedback on anything I've ever sold about poker before and it's responding to the most frequently expressed sort of listener desire, which is like, how does a weekend warrior, how does a recreational player adjust to the modern game and handle common situations? So it's really just going through uh, some for tournaments, some for cash games, like stealing the blinds, bluffing, defending against bluffs, all these things, uh, all the sort of most common questions trying to put as much expected money in your pocket per minute as possible. Those are the premium podcasts available at nickcast.com. All right. And we'll put all those links in the show notes and everything, but, but Nate, seriously, pleasure meeting you. I hadn't met you before. Uh, that was a pleasure, but thanks for your time. And this is fantastic stuff. It, it, it was really great. Pleasure to meet you all. It was uh, you know, it's an honor to be invited. I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you have a great evening. All right, Nate. Well, you can Hope sign off. We're going to, all right. We're going to continue on, but feel free to jump off there. But but thanks so much. I think you will. Have a great evening. Take care. All right, guys. There he goes. Nate Mavis. Fantastic. Uh, he's he's not he's not really dumb. I mean, he's got a few <laughs> things going on for himself. <laughs> what's what's the feedback? 
Good lord! Uh, no, he's he's great. He and Andrew, they're just they've they've been they've been raising the ceiling on poker training content through the Thinking Poker podcast for years and years, and it's uh, it's a bucket list item for me to get them here on the Rec Poker podcast. It was a treat, a real treat. Just a, one one of those poker geniuses out there. Yeah, and I I would suggest that you know everyone should view that as their second favorite poker podcast, <laughs> right behind this one, of course. But it, it is fantastic. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and you know, if you and if you want if you have a few extra bucks to uh, throw at that weekend warrior series, I, I I learned so much listening to them, and it's mostly focused on cash games, but um, there's also some tournament hands as well. But you can just learn a ton about the thinking, not just like the big hands, like the ones we just talked about, where all the chips are at the stake, but like how do you keep consistently winning four, three, four, five big blinds, um, which really make a difference. So it's it's a, they're, they're really good conversations. So are, are there several Weekend Warrior series within knitcast.com or what is it? What is it? So which one do you recommend? Yeah, or, are they all great? Or? Oh, all of them. All of them. Yeah. yeah, I'd start with the first one just because I think they kind of build on each other, but okay. they're, they're really good. Well, you guys heard him, man. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, he was a fantastic interview. And like I said, I know I kept saying one more question, but I do that a lot. But man, it was it was very rich. Uh, so thanks, Jim, for lining that up, Chris, for the question. John, how about we kick it over to you, man? Let's talk a little bit about our home games. Tonight's we're recording this on Monday night, May 11th. So uh, for those of you who might not be aware, tonight's kind of a big night in the home game, uh, Rec Poker home game series. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, first we had May 6th which is our No Limit Hold'em series. And Power Cookies, Dan Bloom, Again. won that one. That's who so, Power Cookies is. He's yep, been yep. all over the place. Yeah, he's uh, – I think he might have taken over the Player of the Year points race for that as oh. well now. So uh, – and then May 13th, we have our Mixed Game series. That's Limit Omaha 8, and there is the training video available. So you can check that out on YouTube or go to the uh, Poker Stars home game section on Poker, and there'll be a link to it there as well. And Mike, Mike and, Patrick's already talking a little bit of smack with me on this already. He's like, well, see you Wednesday. Because <laughs> I, I, I assume he knows he's going to win again, right? I mean, I assume that's what happened. I put the clarion call out. I said, we need all the Canadians. We're coming in. Well, I, I believe right now – the odds of him winning on the uh, 13th are about 75% in that he's won three out of four of the ones we've had. I know. So. In a field of, what, 30, 40 people? But somewhere we, in there, we, probably. Yeah. we still have yet to have a Canadian win in May, right? So it's not a correct. done deal yet. Okay, you are so. correct. correct. And, I, and I do feel like if we can get over Wednesday, if we can get through Wednesday – uh, I think I think uh, I like my chances of not a Canadian. Oh, no, no. I got, we got some tricks up our sleeves. There's like a, <laughs> a horde of Canadians who are going to be descending on. Like, what are all these maple leaf flags out here? <laughs> yeah, I, as much as I want to see you uh, sing, Steve, <laughs> I really want to mix this game title myself. So yeah, I will yeah, be I doing every doing everything possible to make sure that Mike Patrick does not win. Yeah, that thank you, John. Um, <laughs> Not that that's going to mean much, but <laughs> anyway, the uh, we still have our social distancing series, and we'll be doing that uh, throughout the end of May. And uh, as Steve mentioned, tonight is the Tournament of Champions. Uh, we had 34 players that um, signed up for that, and I think all but like six now have actually signed up for the clubs. So hopefully yeah. most of them will be able to 
to make it to that. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, it will have all been over and we'll know the winner. But as of right now, I've not time traveled into the future and I do not know the answer to that yet. Oh, silver pin. Let's go. Oh, I want that <laughs> silver pin so bad. <laughs> but at, in June, we will be having another tournament of champions for the May uh, social distancing series. So, you know, make sure you get out there and win yourself one of these social distancing series in May so that you have an opportunity to try to win the mm -hmm. silver pin in June when we have that TOC. So on May 3rd, Schneid's 33, Danny Schneider. Nice, won. Danny. May 4th, Captain Walleye, Rob Adsom won. <laughs> on May 5th, our very own Rabman48, Rob Washam won. <laughs> May 7th, Red Devil MN, Guarov Aurora won. On May 8th, some dude named Poker Geek and managed to squeak one out. Somsky, is uh, that your third title? Is that your third win? Be Don't be humble now. Is that your third win since I last fall? Think so, I think so. I think I've won. I, I won a No Limit Hold'em last fall, and I think I've won a social distancing in like April or May or something. Yeah. In this, so this is my third. But I still yeah. want to win. I still have to win a No Limit Hold'em series for 2020, and I have to win a mixed game series for 2020 because I want to, you know, get the full gamut of all of the bronze pins. Well, right, because we're giving away – you can only win one bronze pin per type of event each year. Right. So if people have multiple titles, like Taylor Moss. He can just get one, you know, but if he's won the, the monthly No Limit Hold'em and the social distancing and a mixed game, there's the three bronze. So John's going for the three bronze and the silver. Right, right. So I got one bronze for last year, one bronze for this year so far, so. but I have two more bronzes available to me for this year. So <laughs> are, we, are we actually, I, are we giving out bronzes for last year or are we just giving them the ticket into the Tournament of Champions? Did we decide? No, we're that? giving out bronzes for last year. I just decided <laughs> that right now. <laughs> okay, on May 9th was Graphic 16, Roger Shoot. Nice. On May 10th was Obner, Jack Burke. And do you want to say a little bit more about that one there, Steve? Well, I just put a big grrr in my notes because, yeah, we had a great battle last night. Uh, Jack beat me heads up. It was fantastic. But we played heads up for like an hour and 20 minutes. Like normally these things are over pretty quick, but we, you know, I don't know what happened. We both were crushing pretty good, but we both, like I was a little bit lower than he was stack-wise, and we each had like 50 big blinds getting to be heads up. And so we just had a real fun back and forth battle. It looked like he was going to win. Then it looked like I was going to win. Then he did win, but great, great. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he's a fantastic dude. So, you know, if it was Jones, he, feel worse. he sent me an email today and he said, you know, he was trying his best to let you win, but you just, <laughs> even though he was trying to throw it to you, you just couldn't manage to eke it out. So I got two words for you, Jack <laughs> river seven. Oh, gross. And just so I you had know, you, Jack I was already counting my, my victory. Did not email me. I just made that whole thing. <laughs> anyway. Uh, good stuff, man. It, yeah, fun stuff. Anything else with that, John? Thanks for all the organizing. Nope. nope. A lot of stuff. But yeah, Tournament of Champions tonight. Uh, fired up about that deal. Jonesy, what do you got for us? 
Uh, well, we're still uh, in May, so we're still working on our member content this month is all about ICM tournament stages and multi-table tournaments, MTTs, how to approach them. Uh, we got some really, the seminars uh, was great. Uh, we'll be wrapping up the month with some of that content as well. And uh, I'm just gearing up right now uh, to talk about our June seminar, getting a plan in place for that. I'm really excited about this topic. We're going to be talking about three betting um in all its forms and functions so basically you know three betting for value three betting with bluffs uh what do you do when you get three bet yourself um how to approach three betting in different situations it's going to be a really great um conversation so we're excited for it and and chris you you get a, a ton of credit from us i don't know if you get enough credit publicly nor do you want it but i'm going to give it to you anyway like like just even this hand that you put together for nate tonight was so good chris put together all of our membership content too if you're a member he's the guy to thank but we we come to these seminar recordings and you know he sends stuff out in advance we're like oh my god this is like world-class stuff i just think it's fantastic so seriously well i know you i know you're gonna cringe and i know you're gonna not not accept it but uh, I just think it's absolutely phenomenal. And just being part of the conversation, I learned so much. So thank you for all the work you're doing there. And, okay. and I, I would yeah, like no, to know fun. if I, if it's not too late to request a specific slide, facing a three bet against John Somsky, if we could just put that in there and then you guys could kind of walk me through what to do there. That's just simple. You have a better hand and you four bet. Oh, God, that's, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. okay. <laughs> I guess we don't oh, need to slide then. Next time you have a uh, question about that, Steve, just ask me what you should do, and I'll be sure to let you know. You probably will tell me too. Yeah. He's just as long as you promise to do exactly what I say. <laughs> right, exactly. That's in real time. He'll tell you right then in the hand exactly. You will. You yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but it's true. We've all got our hats off to Chris. He puts this, uh, the, the material, that, the work that he goes into every month to put this seminar together that we just get to show up to and flap our gums. It's, uh, it's really impressive. So um, we, you know, not, not everyone is, is as aware of how much work he does every month, but between hand histories and that and everything else, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's impressive. So thank you so much, Chris. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's here, a lot here. of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's true. I mean, we all have these parts of it that we love so much. John's running the online home games. Um, Rob's putting this book study together. Um, you know, like we all have these areas that we're yeah. passionate about. And awesome. we, we just can't help but keep it up. And Andrew Feist, who's got this uh, learning with content partners every two weeks at 630 on Wednesday, we're doing this segment where we go behind the curtain this this week at 6 30 all our members are going to get a chance to see some of the premium content from solve for why and also for red chip poker and a couple other uh, special guests we're going to have come along for that so come check that out go to rec.poker to get all the details for that super cool and one more thing uh next next wednesday may 20th so jim correct me if i'm wrong but i believe the third wednesday of every month uh, we're starting a new thing too we're just calling it the play and hang uh with with steve uh, and hopefully a special guest uh, each month. Uh, basically, all we're going to do is we're going to invite our members, at least priority to the members. If we don't fill up the table with members, we'll, we'll open it up to non-members, but we're going to have a single table tournament that we're just going to play for fun, and we're going to do a Zoom meeting. So the nine of us on Zoom just chatting, hanging out together, kind of breaking the social distancing thing. Uh, I'm going to try to get a special guest. I've got the my Twitter feed filled with interesting people that may be our special guests, but nothing to announce tonight. Uh, but I don't know how we're going to actually do that. I don't know if we're we'll probably do a Twitter thing or Facebook thing. Jim, do you have any insight on how we're going to choose those, uh, the lucky members to just kind of play and hang out with me? 
Great question, Steve. Well, I'm happy to report that at some point soon, we're going to be launching the new website at rec.poker, which is going to have a lot of our integrated yes. uh, programs all built into it. So there's going to be ways to enter your name into opportunities like this and other fun things that we're doing. All the different learning opportunities are going to be in the same place. You're going to be able to chat with other members. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the littlest bit of what's coming out. But uh, it, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm very excited excited about it and I've, I've seen the preview it's it's really it really is exciting i think our membership stuff's going to really uh be much more easy to access uh the community that we're able to build this idea of the wrecking crew i'll just leave that at there so to tease that uh, but i would say for let's let's do this for the 20th so for may 20th uh jim tell me if i'm wrong jim's jim's always a guy like this. no 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 no. uh let's do this if uh, facebook twitter uh just just start saying just say you know i want to play in the hang, play and hang, whatever, say something like that, tag rec poker or tag me. Uh, that'll get you, then we'll, we'll kind of just, we'll just do a random drawing among the members first and then we'll open it up to the others. But uh, put a deadline on May 18th out there just to get things locked in. So by next Monday, you got to tag us, you got to do something like that. We'll put some posts up there. You can retweet uh, if you don't want to post something. So we'll just start there for this first one and then we'll go to the website after that. But anything else that we need to share guys? What else am I missing? There's so much stuff going on. I'm sure we're missing stuff, but go to rec.poker. It's all out there. Go to the resources page. Uh, that's got all kinds of stuff out there, but just sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we put together this twerp uh, this week in rec poker for all the twerps um, <laughs> like, like me that are out there. Uh, and that's probably your best way to just get, get information fed to you. You can sign up for the newsletter out there. We don't sell a mailing list or anything. Uh, so that's that's a great uh, opportunity for you there. So with that, uh, let's just thank uh, once again, uh, you guys, Jim Reed, Chris Jones, John Somsky, Nate Mavis, uh, for sure, for, for jumping on here. Thanks to Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel. Thanks to Website Amp. Thanks to Learn Pro Poker. Anybody else we have to thank, guys, before we sign off? All right. Just, that's it. Just you, Steve. Oh. Just me, no, no need to thank me, man. I'm a kid in a candy store. People are like, you seem like you're having so much fun. I am. Like, this is unbelievable. And the fact that people like Jim and John and Chris have come alongside and said, we want to have fun too, uh, it just fires me up. Uh, it's ridiculous that I just turned 50 years old and I get to talk about poker this often. Like, it's crazy. So uh, I'm just having fun. But uh, let's keep it rolling, guys. If you have any questions, reach out to me, Steve at Rec.Poker. Uh, or any of these guys too will be happy to answer any of your questions. So with that, we will sign off. Take care, everybody.